You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I am your host Daniel Lee or Photos by DLWE. So today's episode is titled Buy Once, Cry Once, which I will be going into a lot more later. It's kind of related to a personal update that I have, so I thought it would be a good topic to finally discuss. It's been on my list of stuff I want to discuss for quite some time. So hopefully it's something other photographers out there do experience, so be good for them to hear someone else having that same sort of experience. So to start off with personal updates, I managed to finish my uni assignment, so I have been shooting quite a bit this week. We went out to brunch yesterday as well as just walked around the botanical gardens. So when I went to brunch, took my 3518, used that quite a bit, really loved using it. I got to that point where I kind of felt the same way I did when I had the Canon EF35mm F2IS. The only difference I would say, one thing the Sony absolutely kills the Canon on, and this is probably more due to the body than anything, would be autofocus. Because I remember when I used it on Sony, the Canon did really, really well with autofocus. And so does the Sony. The Sony pretty much always gets every shot in focus. You'll find that with anything though with Sony and mirrorless, I'd say in general, you don't really get missed shots unless it's user error. You know, shutter speed's too slow, which is more motion blur than anything, but you don't really get anything out of focus because the focus is front or back focus or that sort of thing. And in terms of that and personal updates related to the thing, as I posted on the photographenthusiast.com, one lens that has really, really interested me is the Sigma 85mm f1.4 Art DGDN, which is made just for mirrorless. So far, it is only available for Panasonic L mount and Sony E mount, nothing for Nikon Z mount or Canon RF mount. I'd expect those lenses will probably be quite a while longer and take longer due to the fact that I believe Sigma would have to reverse engineer their mount because there's still no actual partnership between them. You hear so many different things. Some people say that, you know, Sony share their mount with third parties, some say they don't. Some say Canon and Sigma in negotiations. This is all just forum stuff you read, but who knows what the actual truth is. Only Sigma and Canon would know the truth. I'm fortunately not one of them, so I do not know. Now, when it comes to this lens, to be honest with you, I actually don't know what much I would gain by get buying this lens because in reality, my Samyang is a really good option. The image quality is great. Sharpness is great. Colors are great. AF, I have absolutely personally no issue with it. That is well as great as well, tracking wise, everything. The thing I think is my first Samyang lens, so I don't know how well they are built. I'm not rough on my gear, I'm extremely gentle with it. It's just I don't know how long it would last long term. In saying that, I feel the same way about Sigma as well. So going from the Sony or Samyang to the Sigma, I don't know if I'd actually gain anything, but still that hasn't stopped me from wanting to go for it. Most reviews have said the Sigma has better image quality in terms of sharpness and it does have that 11 apertures uh, 11 circular aperture blades which would help with the bokeh i am like really stupid about that stuff i like my um specular highlights the bokeh walls to be completely circular so for me that's sort of like a major issue but for others they wouldn't care i will never stop going on about how ugly the bokeh is on the 90 millimeter lens the circular highlights the bokeh balls they have the weirdest weirdest shape is the one thing I do not like about that lens. Everything else is great, just that it really, really bothers me <laughs> every time I have to talk about it. But yeah, that's it for sort of personal updates. In terms of camera 
industry updates. We have a few, most of them are fairly brief. The first was a bit more of an interesting thing. So Lens Rentals did a, well, they broke open and tore down the EOS R5 to have a look at exactly how, you know, what it's like, which they do with most of their bodies. They did find that the R5 has exceptional weather ceiling, so it's pretty much been built better than anything they've seen before. It keeps water and everything out so well, and that's probably what the cause of them keeping the heat in is. You know, you get a lot of people that say it's crippled, all this kind of stuff on purpose. I personally don't think it. It's sort of like a design flaw. If you look back at, you know, stuff like the Nikon bodies that had sense, I think it was a D800 that had oil leaks on the sensor. That obviously is a, like a defect in design. They didn't think of that. It's sometimes it could be something so simple but could still slip through. This looks like one of that. They were so focused on keeping the heat, you know, keeping the water out, keeping all the other elements out that they didn't realize that the heat as well will stay in and won't be able to escape. I was reading one breakdown that's saying as well, they're designed, I forgot what it was like, phones or TVs that rather than keeping a constant temperature, it'll check the temperature, say, after five minutes. And it'll check the temperature again after 20 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever it's set to. So that's why you get that overheating issue is because it'll only check the temperature once at around five minutes or something. It'll see that it's fine and then it'll check it again around 30 minutes. And with this level of weather ceiling, it's obviously keeping in the heat. So at that point it says, yep, it's overheated, this makes you stop. And then obviously when you start again, there's no way for the heat to really disperse easily because of that extremely strong weather ceiling. So the heat stays in there and that's why it won't let you start it up again. A lot of people say it's all fake, that you can trick the battery, you know, trick it to keep shooting. But obviously that heat is still going to be in there. It's not like the heat disappeared or the heat was never there. There is heat definitely building up, which they show with some thermal imaging. So that is not the issue. I think it's just purely a, I wouldn't know if it's a defect in design. It's like they chose one thing, whether heat dispersion, longer recording times for video or extremely good weather ceiling that you've never seen before on a body, you know, but then obviously you've got that issue with shorter recording times. For people who do complain about that, I would love to see them use something like, say, which is compared to a lot, one of the A7 bodies in like heavy rain compared to this in heavy rain and see which one's still working at the end. I can guarantee you the Canon would probably still be working, whereas this, the Sony wouldn't. There's been a lot of issues over the years in terms of Sony weather ceiling. I've never taken mine into the weather into the rain, even a slight drop of rain, I would not let it get wet. I do not trust the weather ceiling on it. To be honest, even my Canon, I didn't even get them wet, but that's just me. I love to preserve my gear, keep it as new as possible and keep it lasting as long as possible as well. The next piece of news is Nikon, at the time of recording, is about to unveil their Z-mount 50mm f1.2 and their 14 to 24mm f2.8 lenses. Now the 50mm f1.2 one is quite surprising, welcoming surprise but it is surprising considering they have their 51.8 and the 58mm knocked lens but you know a 50mm f1.4 is usually a more common lens and usually more affordable. It'll be very interesting to see the pricing on this lens, whether it's going to fit that segment that the 51.4 would usually fill, in that case it's going to be hugely popular and you know if it has great image quality great autofocus, it could be something that we see become a system seller and something people would buy a Nikon system just to get. In terms of the 14 to 24, that was always a really popular focal length, especially for DSLR. So it was no surprise that it would come out again on the Nikon Z mount. If you're looking to get a Nikon, like for me, if I wanted to get a Nikon body, I would 100% be happy with it. 
The only thing I think I'd be missing is, I would say, probably a macro lens. Because on the wide lens, wide end anyway, we got the 3518. Keeps me happy if I want to do cityscapes. I could either go for the 2418 or the 14 to 30 f4 because I don't really need a faster aperture. So I'm 100% set there. On the longer end, they currently have the 8518. Perfectly happy there as well. I've had a 1.8 lens before. I'm not, you know, against having another one. So I could happily have a Nikon system and be set with what they currently have. You know, they are lacking lenses, but at the same time, if you're like me and you're just an enthusiast, doesn't re don't really need like a huge library of lenses or a huge amount, you know, or two different type of genres that require that huge amount of lenses, you're perfectly set for what they have currently. The final one is, it's not so much a rumor, it's pretty much fact almost at the moment because Nakashita have reported about it, but... Sony are about to announce their A7C, C for Charlie. So it's quite interesting of a body to see. So look, photos have leaked and once it does officially announce, I'll post it on TPE. But this camera, it's sort of, I think it's more, the C stands for compact and cheap. You would think being an entry level camera, it would be cheaper, but apparently it's going to be priced the exact same as the A7 III or the original price of uh, US $1,999. It'll have a 24 megapixel backside illuminated sensor for an ISO range of 100 to 51,200, 10 frames per second max shooting speed, which is the same as the a7 III. One thing it does beat at 100% is a flip out LCD. It comes with a 28 to 60 millimeter f4 to f5.6 kit lens. And um, the EVF is actually on the left side of the camera, just like their crop sensor APS-C body. So I don't know if this would be a camera I would buy. I personally like the design of the a7 III better, having the EVF in the middle at the top and that little bit larger. I don't mind large. I would rather a larger light body than a light heavy, like a smaller, heavier body, personally for me. I also don't see the benefit. I kind of feel like they missed the ball here. With, say, Nikon, the Z5 isn't as cheap as, say, like an RP, but it is cheaper. With Panasonic, you sort of got them with their S5. It's a bit more expensive compared to other entry-level bodies, the same as the Sony a7C. So it's a bit hard to tell how well they'll do and how much they'll affect each company's product lineup. I guess once we see some reviews from this one, we'll get a better idea of what it's like. To me, it shouldn't cost much to make this body. I'm sure they're probably just using the a7III's sensor and they just have to make the other parts of it, you know, adding on the a7III screen, theoretically i don't know what the evf is like yet what resolution it will be i seriously doubt we'd get the a9 evf on there if there was that would be huge thing that would be a great selling point for it especially compared to the a7 III. but once there's some actual initial reviews out and all that kind of stuff i'll post them on tpe uh you know tpe podcast or xyz and you'll be able to view it all there from that one spot from usually the more reliable youtubers and that kind of stuff that's it for the news topic, so probably a good time to start on our main topic. Buy once, cry once. So you've probably heard this term before, especially if you listen to something like the Petapixel Photography Podcast with Sharky James. So pretty much what they mean when they say buy once, cry once is rather than buying stuff all the time that's cheaper and just constantly spending and spending, you buy it once, something more expensive, the better item that you should have got in the first place, you cry once because you spent that large amount, but you never have to cry again because that money is already gone. So this is something that I actually really believe in. What I'll do is I later on, I'll go into all the camera gear and camera upgrades I've done over the years. They could have sort of been 
spared if I just waited and got the better item from the start. This doesn't always apply to everyone because there's stuff like budget that comes into um, play, what's available in terms of new technology. So there are sort of variables that do affect whether buy once, cry once does work in your actual favor or not. But you'll find there's certain items and accessories especially that you can just pretty much always benefit from applying that buy once, cry once sort of theory to. So what I'll do is I'll go over three sort of areas that you can sort of apply this to, which is camera bodies, lenses, and tripod. So for camera bodies, if I go back to when I first started, so I knew I wanted to get into photography because I enjoyed editing, but I didn't know what camera to get. At the time, I wasn't working, so money was very limited. And even, you know, spending five, six hundred bucks was a lot of money to me. I knew that I really wanted to control the aperture, control everything in manual, but you know, I read online through tutorials that that was the best way to learn photography and doing it that way, but I couldn't quite afford. I felt like the DSLRs were too expensive. So what I ended up doing was, I think it was like a P30 Nikon Coolpix camera, which is what I bought. It was a nice little camera, but it was very, very irritating to use because I found what it done was it would always use extremely sh slow shutter speeds and rely on image stabilization. So you'd get like one tenth, one 15th of a second like no matter what conditions you're in which was really annoying and really hard to handhold especially for someone that is not the steadiest so obviously I spent I can't remember how much I spent on that maybe up to $400 on that and use it for a while but it was just so annoying so limiting so frustrating making it harder to learn because I wasn't able to control it manually so what I ended up doing researching more and more and then I found this you know eBay store it was a gray market camera but oh well but I ended up buying or finding that the 550D kit was only about 550 bucks, which although 200, you know, especially when you're on a budget, 200 can be more, 250 can be more, but it was so much better compared to what I currently had. So I ended up, you know, just managing to sell that camera, make some money back, barely anything, of course, only like one or 200 back, and then ended up going for the 550D. Funny story on that, now that I just remember, I originally could have got a refund for that camera, initially in that first 14 days but I don't know why I listened to her my girlfriend was like nah it's okay you enjoy it you get to like it more don't worry just who cares don't return it just keep it just keep it and of course after that 14 days I started to hate it more and more and more so I wish I always like bring actually when she gets home I'm gonna bring that up to her again but I wish I hadn't listened I just got rid of that damn camera straight away because it had nothing but hassles for me but yeah if I want this situation if I had bought the more expensive one, the 550D, I would have spent more, but I would have cried once only and not have to cry again and lose money on selling and buying again. Another sort of example for that, which this time technology wasn't exist, this um, camera didn't exist at the time, so it doesn't quite apply. But I always, it's pretty much within a few months or maybe five months of having my crop sensor, I knew I wanted to go full frame. I knew about all the benefits of full frame, better low light capability, Whenever I looked online, for me personally, you know, I was amazed by full frame cameras. I eventually did get the 6D, which was, you know, I got on sale for 1400 But at the time I bought my 550D, it was around the era, same era of the 5D2 that was coming to an end. And there was no such thing as a 6D at the time. So, you know, that wasn't an option. But for me, if I was starting out now, most people do generally go to a crop sensor body first. Just, you know, while they learn, which in all honesty can be a good thing because... If you don't, if you just want to try photography, not sure if you like it, you're better off getting something cheap that you can actually use, you know, like say an M50 or they're not even that cheap, 
M10 kind of thing, something you can shoot in manual, change lenses on, and see if you actually enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, there's not much money lost if that just sits on the shelf. Whereas if you do enjoy it, then you know um, that's where it's sort of not as better value because you could have bought something better from the start. One thing to keep in mind though, the used photography market is really good. So say you did go straight to something like a, just go back in time, to a 6D Mark II or 5D Mark II. If you can afford it, you can buy it. You can probably sell it for less money, like less of a loss than you would if you bought, say, a back then, you know, 600D, 700D, sold that, then bought the 5D out of pocket. It would probably work out the exact same as if you bought the 5D from the start and sold it secondhand in good condition, that is. With, with bodies, I feel like if you're definitely into photography, you know you're going to continue to do it. Buy once, cry once. Just get the better body, get the full frame body, get all the full frame gear and don't actually have to worry about all that hassle. Because if you do change your mind later on, there is a great buying um, used market there so that you can actually just take advantage of and get a decent amount of money back for. In terms of lenses as well, you'll find the 50mm f1.8 Nifty 50. It's one of those lenses that everyone goes to from the start. Same could kind of be said about an 85.18 as well, all the 1.8 versions. You know later on you're more than likely going to want to try an f1.4 version. Back in the day for Canon, I personally feel there was no sort of need for it. If the Canon EF 50mm f1.4 didn't have all those sort of production issues with it, I know it's known to have a weak focusing motor. Some people say it's quite soft wide open. I've seen a lot of photos of it wide open. It actually looks really good. It might be one of those lenses where it's very much about copy to copy variation and some copies are really good, some copies are really bad. But either way, it's to me, if a 50mm and 50, a 50mm f1.8, 50mm f1.4, if it's only like a few hundred dollars price different price difference, in this case, I think it was like four, five hundred dollars difference, I would go for the 1.4 any day over the 1.8 from the start. It, you know, that way you can sort of learn with that lens, grow to love it more use it a lot more and don't have to have the hassle. My myself, I went for Nifty 50, use it for a while. Eventually I wanted the F1.4. That's why I went for the Sigma 50mm F1.4 EX lens. This was prior to the art series. I absolutely love that lens. I still kind of miss that lens. And I occasionally look online for used ones. I have seen a few and I've been tempted to buy it, but I'd be using it with the MC11, not directly. You know, it's not a native lens, so I sort of uh, can't be bothered. I barely use a 50mm anyway, so it'd be a bit of a waste of money on me too. And the third one, which was tripods. Now, this is the one that I feel is most, most, most beneficial to buy once, cry once. Now, when it comes to tripods, most people you'll find will just get, because they think they won't need it that much, get the cheapest one they can find. Now, that is usually, there's this one on eBay. It has so many different brand names. I think Amazon Basics or whatever does it as well. It's the exact same. It's like a pan head, not an actual ball head tripod, but it's cheap junk. It shakes so much. I remember I gave my old one to my friend and I felt so bad because his shots were always so blurry and he didn't know why. I was like, oh, it's the tripod's cheap, but you know, it's a free tripod. But a tripod is something you can, it's like an investment and there's so many good budget options now. Well, not so much, I wouldn't even say budget because budget you sort of associate with cheap, but there's cheap but excellent options like Surai, Surai. Their tripods are amazing. I used to have the Manfrotto 055 X Pro B tripod. That one was aluminium. There was a carbon fiber version back when I bought it that you could get, which for like 200 more. I probably should have just, you know, once again, buy once, cry once, got that tripod um, carbon fiber version and stuck with it. But I was stupidly a bit cheap and didn't want to get it. Now the price of those tripods are insanely higher. So 
you know, way out of my price lead, uh, price range. But I ended up switching to Sure tripods last year, I think it was. I got a travel one, which impressed me so much by its stability. So that ended up going over and getting another, like a full-size one as well, which is insanely light. I will say they don't even, I will say they both make me wonder if I need the other one. So with the tall one, makes me wonder if I need the smaller one because it's so light, but at the same time, the small one fits in my backpack, whereas the large one doesn't. And with the, they're both just as stable each other as well. That makes me think, do I even need the big one since the small one's stable, but it's not that tall. So certain places where you go, if you want to shoot over a rail, the small one may be too short to reach up over that rail. So if you're doing normal landscapes where height isn't an issue, the small one, the travel tripod is amazing. Despite being super stable and carbon fiber, both of these are only around, I think I paid about 250 or around 200 something for the travel, travel tripod. And for the larger one, I can't remember the model names to be honest, I paid around 500, 400, 500, maybe around there for that. They're not cheap, but carbon fiber tripods are so much lighter, so much more convenient, and they will last you a long time. For someone like me that's like a still life photographer, especially in cityscape and pretty much mostly on the tripod, it's something you really do need to spend the money on and, you know, make good use of. This could go the same for something like an L bracket as well. So you can get L brackets cheap off eBay, but what you have to remember is anything with screws, nuts, bolts, they're often likely to use cheaper ones of those. So the metal might be as good, but all those screws might be cheaper. Might not seem like much, but you'll find over time the threading will wear down and eventually one day, you know, you may not be able to get it off your camera because the threading on that's so weak that it won't unscrew. So then what are you going to do? Pay, you have to send your camera to somewhere to have them take it off. You know, it's going to cost you so much money just because you're that cheap to buy a good one. You know, if your budget doesn't allow it, then obviously you get what's best for you in your budget. But sometimes you're better off just saving up that a little bit longer, spending that little bit more and just getting it rather than having to go through that hassle. So I hope this helped you. Hope you can relate to it. And you've been through that situation where should I just buy the more expensive thing or should I get the cheaper one? If you are in that situation and you can afford to get the more expensive one, but you don't think it's worth it for now, trust me, just go for it. Just get it. You're going to end up buying it later on and regretting it when you buy the cheaper one and not happy. So rather than waste your time, waste your money, you know, from losing money through a resale, just go get that item, make yourself happy, get out there and shoot and be happy. Now, this concludes this episode, so thank you for listening. If you'd like to see tutorials, reviews, or find older episodes of this show, you can find it at tpepodcast.xyz. If you'd like to see my personal work, you can find me at photosbydlwe.com. All of these links will be in the show notes. Otherwise, you can find my links and everything from my website if you did enjoy this episode make sure to subscribe so you can be notified when we release a new episode every fortnight otherwise thank you very much for listening and i hope you enjoyed it bye